How many of y'all love your family? Well, of course you do. You know, there's something about family. We are a spiritual family. We're, we're brothers and sisters through the blood of Jesus. His blood thro- flows through your veins. It flows through my veins. And I am flesh of your flesh and bone of your bones because of the fact that God is our Father. We're a spiritual family. I love my family. I've got ten brothers and sisters and um, a great mom and dad that uh, raised me. And mom and dad and one of my sisters are in heaven now. And, uh, but I have nine surviving siblings. And we have a wonderful family. Are we perfect? No. Do we have perfect relationships? No. Do we love each other? Yes. We're still family. No matter what happens, we are family. Now, I, I don't know. There's a word that uh, I'd never heard before until probably about the 1980s. And it was a word that was, that was basically invented to describe families. And it's called dysfunctional. And, uh, you know, I've done my own research. You know what I've discovered? Every family's dysfunctional. I haven't met the perfect one yet. Does anybody here come from a perfect family? If you did, I want to come to you for counseling. I want to know how you did it. You know, every family, as far as I know, has some form of dysfunction or another nobody's perfect because we're all imperfect people. My dad said one time he went and, 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 and visited a church and found out it was a perfect church and he joined it and messed it up. <laughs> it just happens that way because we're imperfect people and, and we all want a perfect church. You know, I heard the story about these um, searchers, you know, this, this, this man had been lost. He'd been lost for several years and he was in a shipwreck and ended up on a deserted island. And they hunted and hunted and hunted for him, could never find him. So finally they gave up the search. Years later, someone else discovered this uncharted desert island. And lo and behold, when they went aground on this deserted island, they found that there were several buildings there. And they met the guy that had built those buildings. It turned out he was the guy that was shipwrecked. And so... You know, they started talking to him and, and just out of curiosity asking, him, what are these buildings? He said, oh, that one's my house. That's nice. And what's this one over here? That's the general store. He said, I'm the owner, proprietor, and the only customer so far. He said, well, what's this building over here? He says, oh, that's my church. It's where I go to church. And he noticed it had a cross on it. He looked over not too far away, and there was another building with a cross on it. And he said, well, what's that building? He said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> and, you know, we're kind of like that. You know, we look at the church just as a place that we can come and get our needs met. I, I've heard, you know, the reason... A lot of people leave church. Most of the time when you ask someone, why did you leave the church you were at to go to another church? You know what they'll say? It wasn't because they moved out of town and, you know, or relocated or something. They just went to another church because, and this is the number one reason that I get, it's because they weren't meeting my needs. My needs weren't being met. 
And there's some validity to that. If you go to a, if you're a part of a fellowship or something where the Spirit of God's not allowed to move and, and the pastor's hands are tied and everything else, I can understand where there's no life. You want to go to a place where there's life. And, and I can understand, you know, where your needs are not being met in that situation. But a lot of times it's just that we were never connected there. We were never part of a family. We didn't get involved in what was going on. So in order for things to, to, to feel like you're a part of it, you have to join yourself to the family. You know, there was a time in my life when, when I felt disconnected from my own family and I rebelled and I ran away from home and everything else, kind of like the prodigal son. But when the chips were down, you know where I went? Home. I remember the night that I gave my heart to Jesus, the thing that I was questioning about life itself was, and the thing that I was most hungry for and most desirous of was love. I wanted love. I wanted to be felt. I wanted to feel like I was accounted for something, that somebody loved me. And I was sitting with a group of people. I mean, you know, I, I'd been in clubs and all those things. I'd go to these clubs and stuff. I never felt loved. I mean, I would go in, would have a good time and all that stuff and go through all the motions of having a good time, but inside you're miserable. You know what I'm saying? Because you just don't feel loved. And I got into illicit relationships. There was no real love there either, just using one another, per se, but no real love. And so the night that I gave my heart to Jesus and sitting in a circle of people, I asked myself, if I died tonight, would these folks sitting here even care enough about me to even come to the funeral home or go to my funeral? I started thinking, probably not. And boy, at that point, I just felt totally unloved. You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever been there? You just felt like, man, there's just nobody loves me, woe is me. And I just felt that way. Then I started thinking, is there anybody in this world that really loves me? You know who I started thinking about then? I thought about my family. I thought, boy, my mama loves me. She loves everybody. There was nobody my mother never loved. I mean, I used to bring some of the dregs of society to my home. My mother never turned anybody down. If they came to our house, they probably got something to eat and something to take with them. They needed clothes. They got that too. She never turned anybody down. She was just that kind of person. So I knew she had the capacity for love, and I knew that she loved me. So I thought, I will go to the person who loves me. And I was thinking about that. I started thinking, is there anybody else? And God revealed his love for me that night, and I gave my life to Jesus, and I went back and joined myself back to my family. Isn't that awesome? The prodigal son, when he was away from his, his father, and he came to his senses, what did he say? He said, I will go back to my father's house, and I will ask him if I can just be a servant. I'll be happy if I can just serve there, because I really don't deserve to be a son anymore. But if I can just serve there... Then, and, and just at least feel like I'm part of the family, that'll be enough. So he goes back to his father in John, uh, Luke chapter 15. It tells us what happened. He goes back to his father, and lo and behold, when he goes back to his father, his father sees him way off, it says, and immediately recognizes him and doesn't wait for the son to come to him. He runs to the son and wraps his arms around him and asks him to kill a fatted calf and put a ring on his finger and cover him with a robe and put sandals on his feet. And total restoration is what he got from his father because of love. Now, in a family, in a, in a family that we have that, 
I love my brothers and sisters, my earthly brothers and sisters. But I tell you what, I have a spiritual family that I feel just as connected to and sometimes even more than my earthly family. You know what I'm talking about? It's called the church, the family of God, the ecclesia, the called out ones that God has called and joined together. We're joined by, by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the body of Christ. And last week we shared in communion, you know, where we, where we take the bread and we take the wine and we drink it together, which symbolizes his blood and his body that adjoins us together in covenant relationship. We are a spiritual family. Everybody say spiritual family. And what makes us a spiritual family is we're joined by the Spirit of God. We have the same designs. We have the same desires. God has called us to be a family. And I believe that the church, the church exists primarily to function as a family. It's the very reason for our existence. God wants relationship. He wants us to have relationship. Heaven is going to be a place that's going to be all about relationship. And guess what? There won't be any dysfunction. Hallelujah. You know, there's an old song that says, everybody will be happy over there. I'm, I'm sure they will. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Matthew chapter 11 verses 12 and 13 or 12 verse 12 says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. You know, I've, I've given thought to that a lot. But the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent, the violent take it by force. What does that mean? You know, just as individuals have unique and special callings and destiny and purpose and even personality, so does each ministry. The purpose and the reason for existence is to help others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. That's why we're here. That's why we exist as a church. And this is done through our core values, which are to honor God and advance his kingdom through family ministry, community outreach, church planning, and world missions. So why do we exist? First of all, we exist to honor God. He's our father. He sits at the head of everything. Colossians chapter 1 talks about Jesus and, and how that he was, you know, in him all things consist. And without him nothing was made that was made. And, and, and in him, so we're, we're connected through Jesus Christ and God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're here to bring honor to God. And this is a fundamental motive for all ministry. And the ultimate goal of our outreach is this is the visible force or the driving mission to honor God. It's the starting point of all that we do. And it is the success of ministry. Success will come as we honor God and our Father. If we make that our goal. I, I was thinking this morning, you know, and, and I was reading in the book of Psalms and I ran across the verse and it said, praise is comely. Well, that's in the King James Version. In some of the more modern verse, versions, I think even in the Peterson's version, the Message Bible says, praise looks good on you. And when we come, when we praise, what is praise? It's the expression of our exaltation of our Father. We exalt Him, we glorify Him, we praise Him. And the more we praise Him, I mean, how many doesn't like to be praised? Girls, y'all like it when your guy tells you you look good, don't you? Well, most of the time, we like it when anybody says we look good, right? 
but especially those that we love the most, when they say you look good, you know it means something. And so, you know, we, we love to be praised. I mean, a child, uh, they, they, it's, been, it's been discovered, it's been found out that children perform better when we motivate them through praise than through punishment and negative reinforcement. But when we positively enforce kids, reinforce things in their lives and praise them for the things that they do, it causes them to be motivated to do better. So God loves to be praised as well. How many believes he does all things well? When's the last time you told him? You know, sometimes we, we murmur and complain at God. We talk to him like, you know, Santa Claus, you didn't give me what I wanted, and I'm mad. You know, God, why? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? And some people get so angry, you know, they go walking around. Well, if, if there is a God, then why does he allow wars? And why does he allow this? And why does he do that? And why does he do this? And God gets all the blame and the discredit for all the bad things that happen, but he never gets credit for all the good things he does. But if we look at what God has done in the positive realm, it far outweighs anything that you could even blame him for, which he's not responsible for in the negative realm. Wow. Tell you what, I'm preaching better than you're amening right now. <laughs> Randy Stonehill has a song, and, and uh, you know, he says that, that the, the biggest trick of the devil, the biggest trick the devil's ever done, the most effective thing he's ever done is to make you think he doesn't exist. And a lot of the world that don't believe that the devil exists is proof that he does because they act like it. <laughs> But if the devil can get us to believe that he doesn't exist because he is a deceiver first and foremost and he's the accuser of the brethren, then he can just wreak havoc in our life because he's like a thief because that's what he is. A thief cometh not but to kill, to steal, to destroy. And so he comes and he robs and steals us blind and, and, and we don't even notice it because in our minds we say he doesn't exist. He's just not there. And, and we, we credit a lot of things to God that he doesn't do, which we know are satanic, that the devil does. And, and that's not in my notes, but we'll, we'll move on. So why do we exist? We exist to glorify God, and our success comes as we honor and glorify God our Father. So what do we do? Our chief motivation is to advance God's kingdom. Now, this is the divine God-given mandate for all ministries, especially the ministries of Destiny City. Habakkuk 2.14 says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I want you to give thought for that for a minute. I want you to think, let's read it together. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, what covers the sea? Water. If there was no water, there would be no sea. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Now, as we go out and we declare the goodness of the Lord and we preach the gospel, and even when we have to, we use words... We share the good news of Jesus. We are declaring the glory of God and we're giving knowledge of him. 
How will people know that God exists if we don't show them? You know, I I like the license plate that I see out of one particular state. Y'all know which state it is. It says the show me state. Y'all know which one that is? Missouri, right. They're famous for that. You know, the show me state. I, uh, I like to kid around a lot, you know, and, and a lot of times I, I just, you know, people tell me how, some, how good something is, and I'll just say, I don't believe you. Man, that's the best banana pudding you ever put in your mouth. I don't believe you. I want to try it for myself. Then I'll believe you if it's that good. And there's a verse in, in Psalm 37 that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, a lot of people are not going to believe you if you're unbelievable. If you tell them how good God is while you're scowling or complaining or murmuring or not paying your bills or, or doing things that are uncomely, that are not giving glory to God, they're not go, you're not going to be believable. Oh, I love Jesus. Why do you love him? I don't know. Because the Bible tells me so. Well, a lot of people, that's not enough reason for them to want to have what you've got. You know? If we want people to accept what we've got, then you've got to make it taste good to them. You've got to make it palatable to them. I don't want something that's going to tie me up and make me feel miserable for the rest of my life because that's what I had when I had the devil. I remember we had an evangelist come one time and he gave his altar call like this. And he says, I want to give you an invitation today. And if you want life, if you want joy, if you want the goodness of God, then you can trade all your misery, all your sorrow, all the bad things that the devil has done in your life for all the good things that God has. And it comes with a guarantee. It comes with a misery back guarantee. You can get your misery back. You can get all your sorrow back. Get all those bad things back if you want them. Or you can have life. And God gives us that. He doesn't hold us prisoner. When we come to him, he gives us opportunity to come into his family, to be a part of his family, to be adopted in, to become grafted into the vine, to enjoy all the good things that he has for us. But you know what? You don't have to. You can be just as miserable as you want to be. We have that choice, but it's not God's fault. It's not his fault because we're a spiritual family. I love my brothers and sisters. You know, the thing about when I left my family when I was 16 years old and moved out and rebelled against God and family and everything else, my family loved me. One of my brothers came and talked to me one time and asked me to come home, and I told him no. One of my sisters came to me one time and asked me to come home, and I told her no. My dad sent someone to come and asked me to come home, and I told them no. See, they reached out to me, but I wasn't ready to come home yet because I was still enjoying all my misery, all of my sin and everything else at the time. And there is pleasure in sin for a season. The Bible tells us that. But after a while, it was no fun anymore. After a while, it was painful. And I wanted to go home, but by that time I was wondering, will they accept me back home now? Will they open the door? Will they even let me in? I remember one time 
I was, uh, I was living up in the mountains in an apartment in, in, in Marion. And I, I, I didn't have a car, and I hitchhiked everywhere I went. And I had an old long stormtrooper jacket. You know, when I bought it in an Army-Navy store. And I had, had long hair. I could reach back and grab it back here. And it wasn't well kept either. I mean, I looked like I just crawled out from under a bridge or something. <laughs> and I was thumbing down the road. And I saw a car coming. And it got closer and closer to me. And I looked and it was my sister. And I'm like, she went right on by. I was like, wow, the things have really gotten bad. And I walked down the road a little ways, and I crossed a little hill. And as I crossed the hill, I saw her sitting on the side of the road with her blinkers on. And I walked up to her car, and she's sitting in the car with tears streaming down her face. She could not believe that that was her brother walking down the road. That was how bad it was. And she just couldn't bear the thoughts, and she didn't know what to do. But you know what? God's redemptive power is so strong and so great. When I finally got up to her car, and she was able to compose herself... At that time, she took me, she showed me kindness, she took me, got me something to eat, and then took me back to my apartment. You see, I wasn't ready to surrender at that point. I was broke as could be, but there was one problem. I wasn't broken yet. I was not broken. God had to get me to that place where I was ready to yield and come to my senses just like the prodigal son and go back home to my family. The ones who really loved me, the ones who really cared for me, the ones who were really there for me and surrounded me. No, they couldn't keep me as a captive, but they loved me and they prayed for me. They cared for me until I came home. That's what family is all about. But God has called us to be, to advance his kingdom and to declare the glory of the Lord for the time will come when all the earth, it says in the New Living Translation, the time will come when all the earth will be filled as the waters fill the sea with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. Now, how's it going to happen? It's going to happen through the family of God. The kingdom of God, the rule of God is destined to invade every nation, people group, and every redeemable institution on earth. And we believe that his kingdom advances primarily through the church, that the church's number one means of advancing the kingdom is by making disciples, learners. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, come to me and, and, and be a disciple, be a learner. The more I learn about Jesus, the more I know about him, the more I know how great he is, how awesome he is, how loving he is, how compassionate he is, how gracious he is, how rich he is, how wonderful he is, and I could just go on and on and on with every adjective and adverb that could be used to describe him. Nothing can declare his glory to the fullest extent of who he is. 
That's why I want to learn of him. And I have found rest for my soul. We're called to advance God's kingdom in the business world, entertainment industry, educational institutions, family, wherever there is darkness. We are called to advance God's kingdom by making disciples. I want to tell you something. I don't have any desire, and I hope you don't have any desire, just to sit around and wait for the world to get worse and worse before God judges it and rescues his church. We're called to be two things. We're called to be salt, and we're called to be light. You are the salt of the earth, it says. What does salt do? It adds flavor. And it preserves. I love country ham. I had some yesterday morning. Thank you. But country ham is preserved by putting salt on it. That's what preserves it. That's why when you have country ham, you've got to have four glasses of water to go with it. But it's tasty. It's tasty. But I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of y'all got salt shakers at home? What would you do if somebody came into your house and took every bit of the salt that you have and put impurities in it? And took a little bit of stuff out of the litter box and put in there. Maybe some ashes out of somebody's ashtray and put in there. Found a little bit of this bad stuff and that bad stuff and a little toe jam. A couple of hairs. Now, what would you do with that salt? Would you continue to put it on your tomato sandwich? What would you do with it? Throw it out. Why? It's worthless. It's not good for anything anymore. I wouldn't even put it on a piece of ham. and put it on nothing because it's worthless. Well, that's what it's like, folks, when we as a church allow impurities in our lives when we live impure lives as people of God and we, we compromise and we get caught up in all kinds of junk, we allow all kinds of stuff to invade our minds and to infect our souls. When we're disobedient to God, we become like that worthless salt. And what good are we anymore? We're unbelievable. Nobody will believe that you're a child of God. If you are, then they will label you with the rest of the hypocrites. The number one reason people don't come to church, I hear it all the time. Why don't you want to come to church? Because of those. Thank you. And you know, sadly enough, though, we give some credence to that by the way we live our lives. When we're not believable, we're not true salt. We become like a dim flashlight. My grandkids love to come over to our house and get the flashlights. They love it. We've got several of them. We keep batteries and flashlights handy for our grandkids. And they're not dumb either. They know when they start getting dim. They don't like them. They want, them to be, they want them to be bright. They want them to give light. They like to turn the lights off and use the flashlights. Find each other. Play monster. You know, they love to do that kind of stuff. But I tell you that to tell you this, that you are the light of the world. 
That we as a church, we're a city on a hill and the world is looking at us. This community is looking at us. Everybody is looking at us. They're wanting to see, do we represent Christ in the way that he truly is? Are we showing the glory of the Lord? Are we allowing his glory to cover this community? Are we allowing Christ to shine through us? Are we being salt that is suitable to be used to preserve and to add flavor? Are we adding flavor to our community? Are we adding flavor to those around us? Are they attracted to us? I love Mater sandwiches. I can eat a Mater sandwich without salt, but I like it with salt on it. Lots of it. Because it adds flavor. I don't know if I'm enjoying the tomato more or the salt more. But I love it. It adds flavor. And people love it when we're salty. They may tell you they don't like it. I just don't like salt that much. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Everybody likes salt. We may not can have it in abundance like we'd like, but we like it. We're conditioned that way. And everybody likes it. Whether they tell you or not, they may grumble about the way they live. They may call you Holy Roller. Somebody said one time, they can call me Holy Roller. I know that it's true. But if they knew what I was rolling about, they'd be rolling too. (laughs) I got something good. And they're just jealous. You know, we can provoke people, make them jealous of what we have. Yes, I have literally had people tell me, I want what you got. And I was working at Duke Power Company. I used to catch a lot of flack from some of the Christians. Because every day at lunchtime, they would have preaching sessions. Well, I was already saved. And the message they preached every day was a salvation message. Said, I already heard it. Got the t-shirt. So I didn't want to go preach to a bunch of people about salvation that were already saved. I want to go talk to somebody that didn't have Jesus. So I went to the ones that had the worst reputation, the steel riggers, iron workers. These guys were known. They just had a bad reputation, man. Nobody wanted to be around the steel riggers, the iron workers, but I'd go sit every day and I'd have lunch with them. And when I first started sitting with them and talking to them and having lunch with them, these guys were just as crash as they could be, man. They would just talk about all kinds of stuff. They'd tell me jokes. I wouldn't laugh. You know what I'm talking about? They'd tell me dirty jokes and stuff. I wouldn't laugh at their jokes. I'd just kind of look at them, just kind of give them a little half-hearted grin. But I would just go and I'd just talk to him. I'd talk to him about Jesus and how much he loves us. Share my testimony with him and everything. And I saw those guys beginning to soften. It got to the point where I would come and sit down with them. Before they would eat, they'd all sit there with their lunch boxes and they'd ask me to say grace. So I'd, I'd pray. Preacher, would you pray for us? So I'd pray and they would eat our lunch and we'd talk. And, and one of them would start telling us a joke or something and one of the other guys would cut him off. Don't do that. Don't do that. I earned their respect. It took time. It didn't happen in a week or two. It took time. But I do remember one in particular. His name was Andrew. He was a young guy. He was in his 30s. 
And he came to me one day, and I had gotten promoted and moved into another area. And I was sitting in my office, and Andrew walked in one day. I talked to Andrew about Jesus on many occasions, and Andrew never was really ready to give his heart to the Lord. But that day, he walked in. And he says, Preacher, can I talk to you for a minute? That's what they called me. I said, Sure. So he came down and he sat down beside me at my desk. And he said, Preacher, I'm scared. I said, What's the matter, Andrew? He said, Well, I got cancer. He said, I'm supposed to go in for surgery this weekend. And I forget which organ it was that he had, but he had cancer and it was getting pretty advanced. And he says, they're going to take out the cancer. They're going to cut on me. He said, they tell me that it's not that big a deal. But he said, for some reason, I'm just scared. I said, well, Andrew, what are you scared of? He said, preacher, I'm scared of dying. He said, I don't want to go to hell. I said, Andrew, you don't have to go to hell. I said, more than that, God has the power to heal you. I said, do you mind if I pray with you and pray for you? He said, no, I'd love it. So I prayed with him. He accepted Christ right there in my office. He prayed the sinner's prayer. I said, Andrew, I'm going to pray for your healing, okay? I laid my hand on him. I prayed for his healing. And so Andrew left. Well, a few days later, I didn't hear anything from Andrew. And so in the middle of the next week, one of the other iron workers dropped by my office and he came in and he said, Preacher, I need to talk to you for a minute. I said, what's that? So what's up? He said, he said, Andrew didn't make it. He said he made it through the surgery and everything was fine, but he got a staph infection. And, and he died. I said, praise God. Andrew's in heaven because he gave his heart to Jesus. He gave his heart to Jesus. You see, being salt and light is being a preservative and is giving light. And God allowed me at that moment to be both salt and light to Andrew. He didn't get healed here, but he got ultimately healed. Andrew's in heaven today, and he's whole. He doesn't have cancer anymore. He's got no more problems because Andrew gave his life to Jesus. See, that's why we're called to be salt and light. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So we're called to be salt and light. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt when it has lost its flavor? Can you make it useful again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a mountain, glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way, your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will do what? Praise your heavenly Father. Praise looks good on you. Praise is comely. When we live our lives in such a way that it causes praise to the Father. I love it when people tell me that my good-looking sons look like their daddy. I like that because they're handsome. It makes me feel good. I love it when people say that the people of Destiny City are acting like their daddy. I met somebody from your church the other day. They were so nice. That makes me feel good. They were so good. They were so genuine. They, they told me about Jesus, and they did this for me. They did that. And I love it. 
And that's what we're called to do. But see, that's family. That's family and ministry. How do we advance God's kingdom? Well, there's several ways. I want to share some of them with you. Number one, family ministry. The purpose of the family is to glorify and honor God by forming spiritual, emotional, physical, and economic foundations for individuals, the church, and any society. We believe that the family and the church are interdependent. In other words, we depend on each other. Now, y'all have been around long enough, and you've been in the fellowship long enough to know that when something happens, who are the first people you contact after you call 911? You call the church. You call people to do what? Pray. I like Facebook for that reason. I dislike Facebook for a lot of reasons, but I like it for some reasons too. That we can pray for one another, that we can encourage one another and strengthen one another. So we, we're connected as a family. And a primary responsibility of the church is to help build strong, godly families. And godly families also help build the church. We believe that the church is a spiritual home where families should cooperatively worship God. You know, I love worshiping God by myself, but I really love it when we get together and we lift up our voices and worship the Lord. You can't get that at home. You can't get that even watching Joel Osteen or anybody else. You can only get it through being part of the family of God and being in corporate worship. So we have community. We have to ask ourselves this question. I want you to think about this. If our church ceased to exist, how would that affect our community? If Destiny City ceased to exist, how would it affect our community? I personally believe the community would lose a lot. Because I really feel like God has called us here to this community, and not just this community, but the community at large. God has called us, and, and I'm thankful I'm thankful that God has used us and God continues to use us and I think that the community would be missing a lot. I believe this college would be missing a lot if we weren't here because God uses us. So I believe that that God uses us and it's a powerful question that should spur us to strive to make a difference in a local area. The greatest commandment was summed up like this. Jesus said, love God first and love who? Your neighbor as you love yourself. So by reaching outside the four walls of the church and into the community, we can demonstrate the love of God and really make a difference. You know, every, every year we've been here, we've come and uh, we've helped freshmen move in. And, um, and that, that's an awesome thing. I mean, it don't sound like much. But, you know, last year when we were helping the freshmen move in, and we're going to be doing that again on the 13th, by the way, and... Um, I remember that a lot of the parents tried to pay me money because we'd meet them and when they drove up to the curb, we'd be standing there with a hand truck. And uh, they would look at us like, what are you here? Oh, well, we're here to help me move in. And they're like, really? So I'm helping them move in and, and, and one of the, the parents asked me, this, this guy asked me, he says, he says, man, that's a lot of stuff my daughter's got. He said, how much is the college paying y'all to do this? I said, they're not paying us anything. What? And why are you doing it? I said, because we just love people. I told him who we were. We're, we're Destiny City. We meet here on the campus. You know what he said? He said, my daughter's going to visit your church. 
She's going to be there. And she's visited several times. And matter of fact, I was somewhere um, in a restaurant or something a few weeks back, and this young lady walked up to me, and she introduced herself to me. And I'm looking at her. I said, you look really familiar. She says, I ought to. You help move stuff into my room. Oh. So we make an impact that way. Loving others, reaching outside the four walls of the church and into the community. We can demonstrate the love of God and really make a difference. This outreach that we're getting ready to do. We don't do it just so that we can toot the horn of Destiny City. We do it for Jesus. We do it to make an impact for him. You know, whether any, we ever get any glory for it or not doesn't matter as long as God gets the glory. And the other way that, that we can advance God's kingdom is through church planting. Now, the most effective means of evangelism throughout history has not been through mass crusades or radio or personal evangelism or by any other means. The one single most important or effective means of evangelism is church planting. What do I mean by church planting? Well, just put it this way. Now, what would have happened if Adam and Eve had not been given the ability to procreate? What would have happened? Especially when they got kicked out of the garden. They would, we would be no more. But they were given the ability to procreate. And when they, you know, when every person reaches maturity in this life, we're given the ability and the desire to have children. That should be the same way in the church. As the church grows and matures, she develops the desire to procreate, to plant churches, to see other people experience the gospel. Nathaniel Woods, by the way, this is uh, Paige's last weekend with us. I'm kind of sad about that. <laughs> well, it's your last Sunday here at, in, this fam- in, in this building. But you're always our family. Always. But I talked to Nathaniel yesterday, and, and he called me, and, and uh, he's, he's, he was actually in Lakeland, Florida. And I think he said he was looking at a place in Winter Park. Is that right? Winter Haven. And um, so he's real excited about all the things that are going on down there for them. And I'm excited for for Nathaniel and Paige and their family. It's a great opportunity for them. And... and so we pray for them as they open a new page in their life, so to speak. <laughs> Not, we're going to keep this page here, but you know what I'm talking about. But we're excited for them. But Nathaniel and I were together last year. We, we, we went down to Mexico together. And we just had the most awesome time. But we just saw firsthand the importance of planting churches and being involved in, in, in that. And, and, and we had such a fruitful time that we were there that when we came back that, that uh, the, the chairman of EFI, Philip Miles, asked us if we would take the lead in, in doing ministry in that area in Tapachula and Weeksla. And I told him, as, you know, I, I w- we will go and we will do what we can, but my first priority is at home. It's here, Destiny City. But... God uses us when we go down, and I can see how God, God does that. But I was so excited when we got there because it was a young man by the name of Alcides. And I, I can never remember Alcides' last name, but uh, 
uh, I do good to remember Alcides. Alcides has, has this church. It's about this size, building-wise. But they had been in existence for three months. Three months. And already, God was doing some incredible things through that church plant. They met in a building that didn't have any walls. It's just a, a roof, basically, with electricity run out to it. I think they ran a drop cord from the house out to the, to the thing, about 200 foot long, to this brush arbor-looking thing. And, and y'all saw pictures of it, I think. If you didn't, shame on me. But anyway, a new church. It was only three months old and already about 200 people. It was the first church that was established in that whole community where they were. And I just felt so blessed to be a small part of that and to see how God is using that. And then, you know, we have uh, Elaine Wilburn. Y'all know who Elaine is, and, and most of you have met her, but some of you haven't. But Elaine is a missionary that we support, and she is in Morelia, Mexico. And she's also, you know, she ministers in about four or five different states in Morelia. Cadero, or what is the, the one where, Zihuatanejo. Um, um, but the state itself, I can, can't remember the name of it, but uh, uh, Michoacan is the other one. But she's in several states that she's doing ministry in. But this woman, this, this, this wild woman for God, I call her, because she's been hit by a train. She's literally been hit, knocked about 80 yards by a semi-truck when she was changing a tire. She's been robbed. She, she, but she's established over 20-some churches in Mexico since she's been there. Just a, and, and some of those, she took us to a place a few years back. We went into this little village. She was the first Christian to visit that village and actually established a church there too. That's the one where they sent the men to kill her one night. And she didn't, she didn't know what was happening because the men were walking down the road with ball bats that were coming to club her to death. But she's got some amazing stories to tell. To tell. But she's planted churches. And through planting those churches, others have been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember the first time we went to Zihuataneo, they were running about 90 people. They're over 600 people now. It's amazing to see what God is doing. And that's the most effective means of advancing the kingdom is because not only do you preach the gospel and get converts, you build disciples through the church, the teaching of God's word through church planning. So it's the most effective means of spreading the gospel and world missions, obviously. As we honor God and advance his kingdom through making disciples and training up leaders with a focus on the family, community, and establishing churches, We've got to look beyond our local communities. I've been asked the question before, Pastor, why do you spend so much time on world missions or foreign missions when there's so much to do at home? And my answer always is, why don't you come and see? Why don't you go with me sometime and just take a look? You'll see then. Every person without fail that has ever gone with me on a missions trip, even, short, even a little short-term missions trip, has come back changed. They've seen a whole other side of the world to see what God is doing in those areas. 
So I believe in missions. I believe in reaching out. I believe in being a part of something bigger than what we are. It's kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. kingdom. See, it's not just about Destiny City. We're only a small part of the kingdom of God. We are a family that is joined together by the Spirit of God. We work cooperatively together. We, we, we come and we relate to one another. We have fellowship with one another. We share with one another. We share each other's burdens. We share each other's joys. This morning as, as I was looking at Russ and Victoria, I was thinking about their wedding, and I thought, you know, it's kind of ironic. Here's a Wilson marrying a Mitchell. Dennis the Menace. <laughs> Only I would think of that. <laughs> yeah, you know, Dennis Mitchell and Mr. Wilson. <laughs> I just had to throw that out there. Isn't it? Has nothing to do with the message. I thought it was kind of fun. I'm just sharing my joy with you. We share things. We relate. But Matthew 28, 19 (laughs) says this. Go. Everybody say go. Go. We can stop right there. Go. Don't sit. Don't get entrenched. But go and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to observe whatsoever I have commanded. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he didn't stop right there. And he says, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Thank God he's with us. That's his heartbeat. He didn't say he was going to be with us in all things that we did. I'm sure that Jesus is heartbroken some of the things that we do sometimes and we wonder is like you know I can't have part with that because God will not have part how can light have part with darkness how can it how can Christ be adjoined to Belial the devil he can't do that some of the things we think you know that Jesus is with us he's like hell you're on your own there buddy I don't go to those places I'll rescue you when you get in over your head And you cry out to me and you humble yourself, but I'm not going there with you. Sorry if I burst your bubble. But he said he would be with us always as we go and we make disciples. We teach the word of God. We preach the gospel. He's with us. He's there with us in our midst. And when we come together in agreement, Concerning the things of God, he says, I'm with you. When we come together for worship, he says, I'm with you. He said he would never leave us nor forsake us. You see, preaching the gospel and making disciples honors and glorifies God. And we can't be passive in our approach. The king of of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I believe that we come against the principalities and powers of darkness and everything else. We can't come with a namby-pamby approach. This is like, devil, I wish you would leave me alone. I'm really tired of you messing with me. 
Sometimes we sound like the woman that went to buy a dress and she comes home, she's got this very expensive dress. And her husband says, honey, what in the world happened? You said you weren't going to buy that dress. She said, well, I went. And she says, I put it on. And she says, I'm standing in front of the mirror and the devil come up behind me. And he starts telling me, buy that dress. And she said, get behind me, Satan. And he did. And he says, oh, it looks real good back here. So I bought it. And that's the way we are. We buy the goods that the devil tries to sell us sometimes. And when he tells us how good it looks. Not thinking about the repercussions. Not thinking about the consequences. And what is ultimately going to cost us. Broken fellowship with God. Busted relationships with family and others that, that we ourselves make the choice to do. And feeling like we're abandoned when we're the ones that have abandoned others. But we're a family. We're a family. And as we preach the gospel, make disciples that honors and glorifies God. And we've got to forcefully advance the cause of Christ by boldly living out loud our convictions and by walking in such a way as is pleasing to God. Now, a strong spiritual family of faith-walking, Bible-believing, Christ-seeking, truth-speaking, God-pleasing saints is a force that the devil just can't handle. He don't know how to deal with it because Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It can't resist the forceful marching forward of the people of God who united as a family of believers knowing who we are in Christ, knowing that the power that we have and the strength that we have has come by being adjoined to Christ and being part of a family and we have those that we can call upon and we have no reason to feel that we're isolated or cut off from anyone when we humbly come to him and we call upon others and we make ourselves accountable. The problem is, most of the time, though, is we're just like a banana. The first banana to get peeled is the first one taken from the bunch. We allow ourselves to be isolated. And that's where the enemy gets a stronghold, a foothold, and begins to work in our lives. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Don't be angry. And sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. And give no foothold to the devil. Most of the time we get offended at something or something happens. And it causes us to isolate ourselves from the family. Instead of dealing with things in a scriptural manner. And going to those who have offended us. Or going to those that we have offended and making things right, we let time pass. We let the sun go down on our wrath. And you know what happens then? It festers. And the more something festers, the uglier it gets. I remember when I was a kid, every year in May, at the end of May, as soon as it got warm enough, guess what we took off? Our shoes. 
we had one pair of shoes that we wore to church on Sunday and everywhere else. So I take my shoes off because that was just the way we did it, you know. Love to go barefoot. I take my shoes off and we would go through briar patches and everything else. But I remember one time I got a thorn in my foot and I couldn't get that thing out and it hurt so bad to touch it. I couldn't stand to touch it. So I let it just fester. And days went by and that thing got worse and worse and worse till finally I was just like, it hurt so bad I couldn't stand it. And one of my sisters noticed me doing it, and so she grabbed me and held me till my brother got a hold of me. And they took me and put me on the bed and called Mama. And Mama comes with a little needle, and she looks down and sees where it's at, and that needle wasn't good, good enough. So she goes and gets a leather needle, a real sharp one, and she brings it back. And I'm laying on the bed. And I know it's going to hurt like the Dickens. And I was right. (laughs) Mama took that thing. She took a match and she sterilized the end of it. And she got my brothers to hold me down. And she took that thing and went to work and dug in there. And when she poked it, she didn't have to do much poking. It just came out. It was so full of corruption and everything else. It just came out. But when it did... I was healed. Hallelujah. (laughs) I say that to say this, that some of us are carrying thorns around inside of us. We've been pricked by something and we refuse to let anybody touch it or deal with it. And it's just stayed inside and it's got more and more and more festered. I want to tell you something. God's getting ready to hold you down if he has to and go to work to get it out. He'll bring us to that point till we can't stand it no more. See, God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will lift us up. He'll heal us. We do the things that he's called us to do. And I say that to say this, that bitterness is like a thorn in the soul. And if someone has hurt you, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it quickly before it festers. And more drastic measures have to be taken to deal with it. You'll ultimately have to deal with it sooner or later. Deal with it early. Deal with it now. Because we're family. We're family. Let your family hold you accountable. Everybody talks about accountable. Yeah, I want to be accountable to people. I've had people to come to me and say, Pastor Don, I want you to hold me accountable. Okay. So when I try to hold them accountable, they run. Strange how that works, isn't it? But if you want to be held accountable, then allow yourself to be asked the hard questions. Be accountable. We're not going to be accountable to someone. We're going to be accountable to our brothers and sisters and we're going to have to face the Father on Judgment Day. So hold yourself accountable. We're family. And listen, when somebody holds you, when somebody allows you to hold them accountable, hold them accountable, but be loving. Be kind. Don't beat them over the head. You know, somebody said that the church is the only army that kills its wounded. 
And that's true in a lot of ways. That we're the first ones to jump on the bandwagon when somebody else is down. But what shouldn't be. To love one another. Be patient with one another. Long-suffering. Why? Because we're family. We're family. And I thank God I'm a part of the, of the family of God. I've got brothers and sisters that will look me straight in the eye and ask me tough questions. And if I lie, they'll know it. I'm not a good liar anyway. It's not my nature. But we have to be held accountable. Because we're family. We're family. Are you glad you're a part of the family of God? You still love me? Well, I'll tell you what, I love you. And we... We can pick our friends, but we're stuck with our relatives. But you're my friends. But you're my family, which is much deeper. And Jesus told his disciples one time, he says, I tell you, I no longer call you servants, but friends. And greater love has no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. And that's what God has called us to do, to lay down our lives for one another. To be willing to give everything for the cause of Christ, for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God, because we're family. Amen. I'm glad I'm a part of God's family. Praise the Lord. Father, we're so thankful that when Jesus died, you had a greater plan. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, you've given us access into your very presence. Not just once a year, but every day of our lives, every moment of our lives, Lord, we can continually live and walk in your presence because, Jesus, you said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. God, you put our spirit not around us. Lord, you haven't put your spirit upon us. You haven't just called your spirit to be with us, but you put your spirit within us. And Lord, we thank you, Father, that because of that, that we are joined together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, that we're called together to love one another in ways, God, that the world can't even fathom, doesn't understand. How we can love one another and put up with one another as we do is simply because of love. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you didn't call us to be perfect. Jesus is. And when you look at us, we're perfect through him. But Lord, you've called us, Father, to be faithful, to be obedient. You called us to love one another and encourage one another and strengthen one another. You called us, Lord God, to be salt and to be light. You called us, Father, to show your glory, to reveal your glory to those around us, Father. Lord, you said you put within us springs of living water that shall flow out of us, Lord God, and bring nourishment and strength to those around us. I thank you, Father, for my brothers and sisters. I thank you, Father, for the relationships that we have. Thank you most of all, Father, that you chose us in him before the very foundations of the world. 
We thank you, Father God, that you called us into a kingdom where Christ is king. You called us to rule and reign with him. And Father, you've put all things under his feet and raised us to be seated together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Therefore, Lord, you put Satan and the realm of this darkness under our feet and elevated us, Lord, to a high position to be seated with you in the heavenly realms. We thank you for that, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Would you stand with me? Praise the Lord. I know we went around this morning and we greeted one another. But I want you to go around this time and I want you to greet each other and ask this one question. Is there anything I can pray with you about? What's going on in your life? If you've got a word of encouragement, if you've got a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom that God has placed in your heart, share it. If you can do anything to encourage someone around you this morning before you leave, do that, will you? So we all walk out encouraged and strengthened, built up in Him. I love you. Love you very much. And thank God that we're part of his family. Amen. Well, Lord, again, as we leave this place today, God, I just pray, Father, we go with a sense of knowing that I'm part of something that's much greater than myself. Lord, that I don't have to be perfect to be a part of this because Jesus is perfect. His perfection is in me. And Lord, I thank you, Father, that I'm growing into what I'm meant to be. And so, Lord, I give you praise in Jesus' name. I love you, Lord. Would you just say, I love you, Lord? Amen. God bless you. Would you encourage somebody before you go? Amen.